0: Hi, I'm Bruce Bartow, the chaplain here at Kimray, and we are doing a series that I have called Foundations, and today we're going to look at another uh, lesson in that series, so let's jump in. Okay, this week we're going to look at God is doing what He said He would do. And that goes all the way back to the very first lesson when we talked about how God had a plan that involved us and that was to make us in his image. And one of the things that we need to know about what God's plan is and how he's carrying that out comes through getting to know him who never changes. He's always the same. His character remains consistent and constant. But he also knew before he ever started and we'll see some of that today, that there was gonna be a problem, there was gonna be a sin problem, but he already had a plan to deal with sin. The Bible says even before the foundation of the world, he'd already figured that out. And we also talked in week uh, eight about types and shadows and allegories and things that are pictured in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament times, that give us a visualization, a, a mental picture of something he's fulfilling uh, through the new covenant, the new promises uh, that he made, which go back to the original covenant he made with Eve when he said he was going to send or give her a son who would crush the serpent's head. And so we talked about covenants. And the ones that really are relevant to us, even though they all are, but the ones that I think are mainly, um, that we, our hope is staked in are the covenants or promises that God made unilaterally. He just said, this is what I'm going to do for you. And he didn't say contingent upon if you do something for me because the problem with man and i'm one of them right mankind is uh, we aren't as reliable as god and so if if god's uh, work in our life if his blessings towards us if his plan being completed in us to make us in his image is it all dependent upon us then we're just out up a creek without a paddle there's there's no way we can fulfill our side of the bargain to the absolute perfection that would be needed and so we're going to look at something today about god fulfilling his plan by doing what he said he would do you know, we looked at last week a scripture in hebrews chapter 6 Uh, verse 17 goes like this in the same way god desiring even more to show the heirs of the promise the unchangeableness of his purpose interposed with an oath all right so he had a purpose and he wanted us to really have confidence in that and so he actually made a promise on top of the fact that he already said he was going to do it now the important thing about when god speaks if he says he's going to do something he doesn't actually need a promise to make him carry it out. Uh, in Numbers 23:19 it says, God is not man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? Whatever God says he's gonna do, he does. Okay, you and I have had a lot of experiences with people saying they're gonna do something and not coming through, uh, not fulfilling their word. And we have emotionally a tendency to feel that way about all relationships, even God, even though he is completely trustworthy. And so we do things on earth to seal the deal that, okay, you said you're gonna do something for me, I need something that will guarantee it. Something you're gonna lose and I'm gonna get if you don't fulfill your word, like earnest money on a house or whatever. All right, so God to give us encouragement, the Bible says, interposed with an oath. He said, not only did I say I'm going to do this for you and I can't lie, but I promise I'm going to do it for you. And I swear by myself, not I'll do it for you if you do something. I'll just do it for you because I said I would and I promise I'll do it based on my own character. Okay, so now here's something that's really interesting. I realized in reading the early scriptures about what God is doing in Genesis 1:26, where we really started this whole series on foundations. And remember, you build everything on the foundation. That's the first thing, you know, the New Testament says other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. So the foundation is laid and he's building upon that in Genesis 1 He said, let us make man in our image and according to our likeness. He didn't say, let us enlist some help from mankind or the angels or any other creature to help us make man in our image. He said, let us make man in our image. Well, who's us? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the three in one God. They didn't enlist the help of anybody else. So him completing his project is not dependent upon somebody else doing their job. You know, as a contractor, which I did for years, I would build a house. A lot of times getting that house finished was dependent upon subcontractors. Other people I would enlist to help me get this job done, either because I wasn't allowed to do it, because I didn't have a license in plumbing or electric or whatever. I didn't know how to do something uh, because I just never done that before. So I would enlist subcontractors. Well, God doesn't have any subcontractors. And that includes you and me. You know, it says, God who made us, it's God who made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Ephesians 2 says, uh, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. All right, so he is the one making us. And he he already knew (laughs) that between the three of them, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the one God, that they could complete what they started. There was a man named Job and he was a pretty good guy the Bible even says that God said he was the the most faithful man he had on earth that's a big statement but he ran into some problems and God allowed those to happen to him and but he knew that he was going to actually work out for Job's better because you know at the end of the book he said I'd heard about you with the hearing of the ear but now I've seen you with my eye he got to know God better in the midst of all the trouble he went through well in Job 38 4 when Job got complaining, God never really answered any of his questions. He just asked him some more questions like, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. I'm sure Job kind of went, uh, I don't know. I wasn't around when you laid the foundation of the earth. He's, he's saying to Job, look, I got this in hand. I know what I'm doing here. You don't understand everything that I'm doing, but I do trust me. It's always about trust. In Job 42.2, Job said, I know that you can do all things and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. He realized at the end of all of this that God was not handicapped by the difficulties we faced on earth in order to complete what he started in us. The sin problem that entered in the garden of Eden The struggles that Job had, the direct attack by Satan himself on Job's life, nothing can stop God's purpose to finish what he started. All right, there was another man named David. He realized some things. And in Psalm 139, he wrote, "'For you formed my inward parts. "'You wove me in my mother's womb. "'I will give thanks to you, "'for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. "'Wonderful are your works. "'My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. My eyes, excuse me, your eyes have seen my unformed substance. And in your book were written all, were written the days that were ordained for me when as yet there was not one of them. God was weaving David together. God was forming him. He could see David's days before he ever even started forming him. When when there wasn't even when he hadn't even started, God could see all the days written for David. I don't really understand that. I don't believe anybody actually does. But God lives in the now. And now is everything eternity past and everything eternity future. He can just see it all. That's just something we accept by faith. Because uh, the scripture tells us that's true. All right, so the basic structure of mankind, of humans, is something very important for us to understand because then we see what the effect of sin was and how god is dealing with that effect of sin in order to complete what he started so that sin can't hinder him in genesis 2 7 it says then the lord formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and he became a living being right now we see if you look at it there's three parts three basic parts there's there's other parts we can talk about but there are three basic parts to the makeup of a human being the New Testament calls it the spirit soul and body all right he formed man from the dust of the ground that was his body breathed into his nostrils the breath of life that's the spirit and he became a living being some translations say a living soul All right, so here you have the three parts, the three basic, most fundamental parts of a human being formed when God created man in his image. You know, even when it says he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, the word spirit is, in the Greek, is the word pneuma, like we have pneumatic tools. What is that? It's a tool that runs on air. It's the breath of God. When God breathed into man the spirit, and made him a spiritual being. And this is a very important thing to understand, that as a human, you're not a human, a physical being having a spiritual experience. You're actually a spiritual being having a physical experience because your spirit will continue forever, either in God's presence or not in God's presence. All right, so I want you to look at a slide here and it's just a simple equation. At the time of creation, it says he created the spirit, soul, and body. If you add that up, that's man. And man had a relationship with God, as you see, that unbroken blue arrow between God and man. There's this connection that man could talk to God and God was talking to man. There was no separation whatsoever. And that was the finished work, if you will, of creation when he looked at it and said all that he'd made was good. And and eventually he said it's very good, okay? So he was done and he rested on the seventh day because man was complete as a created being. But then there was the effect we talked about a few weeks ago of sin and how it separated us from God. Let's look at Genesis 2, 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded man saying, from any tree of the garden you may eat freely but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat for in the day you eat from it you will surely die. We also talked a couple weeks ago about how well they didn't fall over and stop breathing but they died the moment they ate. Well how did that happen? Well they were separated from God because spiritual life is connection to God. Spiritual death is disconnection from God. So Genesis 3.24 says, so he drove man out at the east of the garden of Eden and stationed a cherubim with a flaming sword which turned every direction to guard the way of the tree of life. You're not gonna live forever separated from me. I believe that's what that's all about. All right, so man's sin separated from God. So we see in this slide, at the point of separation, you had, they had the same body, they had the same soul, but their spirit was dead, okay? If you, if you change any part of an equation, you actually change the answer. The, the sum changes, right? Right, so man was dead because of sin. You see a break in that arrow that connected man and God. And so their fellowship or relationship with God was broken. There was a separation there created by their sin. We can look at a lot of verses about how sin separates people from God. All right, so that is the Fallen condition of mankind apart from Christ. All right, so let's see what happens when God's plan enters man's experience. A plan that he had from before the foundation of the world. In 1 Peter 1:18 to 21, it says, Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like gold and silver from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world. See, there it is. The fact that Jesus was coming to die was known before God ever said, let there be light. But he has appeared in these last times for your sake, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. So he sent Christ at the right time to do the work that needed to be done to reconnect man with God. Second Corinthians five seventeen says this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. All right, so if you're in Christ, you're a new creature. Let's look at another slide here about our makeup as a human being. You know, okay, there was creation, there was separation, Now at restoration, when we are restored to relationship with God, there's body. We all have the same body we were born with, the same soul. But we get a new spirit. And that that new spirit is fresh and clean and new. That's why it says you're a new creature in Christ. And man is reconnected with God. Now if it stopped right there, then we could break it again just like Adam did. I want to show you something that's very important about the new covenant, the promise that God gave us through Jesus Christ. He actually added a part to man's structure. In Ephesians 1, 13 to 14, it says, In him you also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. That's that earnest, that's that guarantee of God's promise. Who is given as a pledge, of our inheritance that down payment with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. Alright so God added Himself to us. So let's look at that restoration area again. When God saved us, when we were born again He gave us a pledge of His promise. It'd be like if I give you a down payment on your house of 10%. Well, he gave us 100% by giving us himself. He put himself inside of us. So the believer is body, soul, and spirit plus the Holy Spirit bonded together. We are his temple. We were cleansed and God moved in. That's why all the, you know, the temple in the Old Testament had to be cleansed with blood. And then God's glory came into the temple. Well, when this temple is cleansed, God moves in. In 1 Corinthians nine 6, 19, it says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. All right, so he has purchased us, the Bible says, uh, as a possession for himself. He cleansed us and he moved in. Now, he's not jumping in and out. Um, if... If it was partly us being good that got him to come in, then it could be partly us being bad to get him to go out. But it was the goodness of Jesus that allowed him to move in. And the goodness of Jesus will never be tainted. It was his perfection, his righteousness that cleansed this temple and we are in Christ and Christ is in us. And the Bible says when that's true, no one can pluck you out of my hand. And my father's even greater and no one can pluck you out of the father's hand. In Ephesians five, twenty-eight to thirty-two, it says, "This is one of those allegories. This is one of those illustrations or metaphors that God gave us to help us understand this." In Ephesians five, twenty-eight to thirty-two, it says, "So husbands ought also to love their own wives as Christ uh, as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. Just as Christ also does the church." because we are members of his body. For this reason, he's quoting the Old Testament here, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and his church. When we, the church, are married to Christ, we become one with him and he becomes one with us. In John 17 it says, Father, I ask that they would be one even as we are one. That is. Huge. And that is that is massive. That he asked his father to join us to himself in such a way that we are one with him. Now he's always God and we are always not God. We'll never become God. But as the bride of Christ, we are married to Him, and He is married to us, and He will never break His promise to us. And the marriage we have to Him is not based on a promise we make back to Him. It's the promise He makes to us and we receive it by faith. 1 Thessalonians 5.23, it says this, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely and may your spirit, soul, and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now the only way that can happen is if Jesus secures our completeness. If he makes us unblameable by his own unblameableness, if that's even a word, works for me, right? I want to give you a quick illustration, then I'll be done. If you've ever read the Chronicles of Narnia in one of the books, it's called The Magician's Nephew. Um, There's this goings and comings between other worlds in that that little series that C.S. Lewis wrote. When The Magician's Nephew, at one point, there's a cab driver and back then in the time of this writing, it was horse-drawn cabs or carriages. Um, He gets sucked up with his cab and his horse into the next world and things are going on there and that world, Narnia, is being created. It's at the point of creation. And at some point, Aslan, the great lion, asked Strawberry, the horse, would you be a winged horse? And he agreed. And suddenly, the horse grew wings. And he was able to fly. Prior to that, Strawberry could not fly. Well, when we get a new nature, we're able to actually do what God has called us to do, and we'll talk about that a lot in the future. He actually makes something different about us so that we can live different than what the world lives and what we lived prior to coming to Christ. All right, well, I look forward to talking to you some more in the future about this. I love you guys, let's pray. Father, we do thank you that you are good, that you're making your plan come to fruition, and that it's based on your faithfulness and your faithfulness alone. Help us to know you in such a way that we can participate with your plan and your faithfulness in our daily lives. We pray in Christ's name, amen.